All right. Hello and welcome. Episode 38 of the Sports Leadership Podcast. I am Mark Hodgkin, along with my co-host Kevin DeShazo, and we have uh, another interesting conversation today. Uh, we're going to talk to Jake Hirschman, a fellow podcaster, executive producer of the Life in the Front Office podcast, and we're going to have a, a, a really good talk. You know, Jake's a young guy, done a lot of interesting things already in his career. He's been an author, he's been a teacher, he's a board member, um, and he has a day job with the PGA Tour. So really good conversation. Before we dive into that, Kevin, how's everything going in your world? Man, things are good. Uh, same old, same old. We are in week 873 of quarantine life. You know, every day is kind of safe. You, you wake up and you know, I'm on 10 Zoom calls a day and go to bed and wake up, do it again. But it's all right. You know, it, it is what it is. I'm, I'm actually enjoying kind of the pace of this season. It's fun to be with teams uh, via Zoom, still be able to do that to serve people. But also getting a lot of extra family time. So I, I'm actually, you know, it's, it's a weird season. Obviously there are terrible things happening, but for me and for our family, for our world, like the pace of life has been, uh, it's been a nice change after, after you know, being on the road for 10 years. So um, it's all right, but I am looking forward to sports being back, to life being back, to whatever normal uh, will look like. And so it feels like we're kind of getting that direction sort of soon. Uh, so that'll be, that'll be interesting. So how are things your way? Yeah, you know, about the same. Uh, you know, you say that, and it's interesting. I, I was talking to somebody on campus today, and um, we're recording this on the last day of April, so it's going to be a little bit before this goes out. Who knows what the what the world changed by then? But, you know, at this point, I, I, I we could probably do a whole episode on this, but I think one of the things that's interesting is uh, they were saying, you know, I'm getting so much more done, and I could see this making sense two days a week or one day a week. You know, I'm eating better. I'm getting more productive. Environmental improvements because you're not spending a bunch on gas and, and pollution and all that kind of stuff. And it'll be interesting to see what, whatever the quote-unquote new normal is, if it will involve more of this. And, and even saw it around the NFL draft last week where um, I forget one of the reporters was on saying, you know, they've heard from a number of front office and coaching staffs that this time at home is actually kind of like recalibrated what they think work's going to be. And uh, that group can kind of come to that conclusion. And Kevin, you work with coaches all the time too. I mean, I wonder if there's going to be a, a little bit of a mindset change in in how much time is spent at home versus at the office. Absolutely. I, I hope there is, right? Because that, that group, coaches especially, and I get it, they, but they're putting in 70, 80. I mean, I've, I've talked to some coaches, 85, 90 hours a week in the office, and there's no reason. Like there, if there's a coach listening to this, <laughs> there is zero value to that. You're not getting better by, by doing that. Um, you don't have to prove to someone that you're working harder than, than someone else. And that's where most of the game is because it's, it's this competition comparison thing. And, and again, I get it, but it's also not healthy. Um, you can't be a good parent. You can't be a good spouse. If you're spending 85, 90 hours a week in the office, you, you just can't. And so coaches are realizing that now uh, because they've been forced to hit reset. Right. And so, and so many other leaders are the same way. It's like, and this family time is actually unbelievable. Like I turns out, I really love my family. And of course they did before, right? Like, but they're, they're really enjoying this time. And so it'll be interesting to see, obviously the way they're operating now, they, nobody expects them to operate this way in six months, right? They're gonna go back to the office. They're, they're gonna be working um, still a, a decent amount of hours, but they've figured out hopefully a way to be more productive and more efficient with, with that productivity and where they can still come home and, and not be on all the time and, and realize that will actually make them a better coach that will make them a better leader in the office, but they can they can also be that be that person at home. So I'm really fascinated to see what changes um, we take uh, from from this season into the next season. And again, the expectation can't be that it's the same. Like for me, we can't go on walks every night because we're going to have baseball practice and basketball practice, and I'm going to travel. 
but some of those things will continue to do at, at some level. So I think it'll be really interesting. And I, I did a podcast. Um, I don't know what this is the April 30th. So yesterday or day before with, with the prodigy search crew, they do executive sporting sport, um, recruitment. And we were talking about this idea of people are getting a decent amount of work done, right? So the re remote isn't the answer, but it may be part of the answer going forward, right? Like I said, one or two days a week, um, we're seeing the benefits of, like, it's not just a reset for us and for, for people, for industries, it's a reset for the planet. Right? So like Los Angeles has the cleanest air on the, on the planet right now. Los Angeles, like the <laughs> dirtiest air that, you know, may, maybe in the world for over the last Crazy. few decades, the cleanest air in the world right now. And so it's, it's been a reset for our planet as well. And so I think it's just going to be really fascinating to, to think we've, we've made excuses for a lot of stuff, right? Well, we're busy, we're whatever, we don't. Well, now we've been forced to rethink or not forced, we've, we've been given the opportunity to rethink things. And so how can we be efficient going forward? So I, I think the conversations about work, about family life, about all of this stuff are going to be really fascinating over, over the next couple of years as we move into this, this new season. Yeah, maybe it's just, you know, the value of sitting down at the table with a family, you know, when you're a coach and um, Kenya Montalolo at, at Navy has had that policy for a long time. Um, it's been talked about, you know, it's, it's been out there. It's, uh, it's been known uh, that he insists that his, his coaches make the time to go back, um, you know, at, at five or six and, and spend some time with their family over dinner or, or you know literally practice or whatever it is, they might come back and they might be grinding later in the night or whatever, but he has that kind of thing of go home and have a, have a meal, you know, at a reasonable time, spend some time with your family. They'll be, you know, they'll be more taped to break down when you get back. You know, it, it, it's not gonna, it's not gonna cause us to fall off a cliff. And they've had amazing success in a very difficult uh, job too. I mean, Navy's not a normal, normal football job. There's a lot of other factors there too. So um, interesting, you know, we'll probably tackle that on a, on a future episode, but um, why don't we get into it with uh, with Jake Hirschman? I had a chance to talk to Jake before. I think Kevin and I were both really impressed with what um, he had to, to say. Young guy, but um, a lot of knowledge and a lot of intentionality. So uh, without further ado, let's jump in and we'll talk to you after the break. All right. We are here with Jake Hirschman, executive producer of the Life in the Front Office podcast, which I had the great fortune of being on a few weeks back. Jake does a lot of interesting things. We'll talk about that today on the conversation. But Jake, uh, welcome to the show. Thanks, Mark. Thanks, Kevin. Appreciate it. And uh, looking forward to the conversation. Excellent. Why don't we, uh, why don't we start at the top? Like, uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about your career journey, uh, how you've gotten to this, and uh, all the different things you work on? Yeah, well, I've I've made it quite a few moves uh, early on. I was I grew up in Scottsdale, Arizona. Went uh, to the University of Redlands to play collegiate baseball uh, in Southern California. Uh, got injured my sophomore year and uh, decided to graduate early and take my talents to Athens, Ohio, for the Ohio University Sports Management Program. Um, and was able to do a master's in sports science and a master's in sports administration there. And uh, during my two years, was able to co-author a book, 20 Secrets to Success for NCAA student-athletes who won't go pro. And it was an incredible experience. But while I was there and in grad school, my focus was trying to get into the you know, player development, scouting, baseball operations side of uh, the industry and in that I was, I was a former player. I uh, even got some coaching experience at Ohio uh, after I, I played a little bit and then hung up the cleats. And so... I, I went and worked for the Seattle Mariners in the player development and, uh, and scouting side uh, as an intern and 
Um, Love my experience. It was a tremendous learning experience in the sense of what other opportunities existed and how I can use my skill sets. And so I then uh, went and worked for MLB with the Arizona Fall League uh, on the business side from a special events and sponsorship standpoint. Um, incredible experience uh, under a leader in Steve Cobb, um, who where then I uh, was able to make my way out to good old Indiana and uh, experience the cold again. Uh, worked for Purdue University uh, Athletics uh, with the Learfield IMG College Group. Uh, again, tremendous experience there and, and was able to then go down to Florida where I'm at the PGA Tour with our Corn Ferry Tour. Um, and just, you know, to provide some perspective, uh, it hasn't been as smooth as that. Like it's it's been a bumpy road. You know, I, I tell some people like I remember you know, in between my job with MLB and Purdue, like I had three months of job searching and, you know, 50, a hundred interviews. And you kind of just, it's, it's that grind, uh, no matter where you go, you know, I start when I was in California and I was, uh, had that first internship, uh, in sports, you know, I was, I was with the minor league baseball team, Inland Empire 66ers there. Um, and then interned for a minor league hockey team and then interned for the Rose Bowl. And so you just get all these different experiences and you realize, uh, one, it's not going to come fast. And two, you, you meet so many tremendous people along the way that that's what it's truly about. And so uh, embracing each experience has certainly been a mindset of mine. I love that perspective. And, and I think it's something that, that you know, our generation, millennials, the next generation coming up can learn from as they try to enter into the workspace, as they try to navigate their career. Uh, I think a lot of them may have unrealistic expectations. Uh, and that may be due to just things they've been told or they've just been, they're just, there's not informed of the way the world works. So, so looking back, you know, as, to tell, tell yourself as you were entering the industry, what, what's some of the advice that you wish you would have heard? What are some of the lessons that you've learned along the way that um, you think are helpful for people trying to navigate this early part of their career? Yeah. You know, I think back to when I was an undergrad and I really started to network and, you know, meet people in the industry. I really wanted to learn what, what existed by through other people. So that, uh, exponentially increased my my learning of what was out there. I didn't have to go actually experience it per se. I could cross some things off the list just based on a couple conversations. And as I started that journey of of growing my network and and understanding what existed, I thought that you kind of had to follow a path of all the people that I was talking to, right? Like, okay, so they did this, this, and this, and I got really analytical about it to some extent of like, all right, if I want to be a team president or if I want to do this, you know, I need to at least go and get this experience, which is true to some extent, right? But everyone, as you talk more and more, and as I've done the podcast, um, you know, co-hosting with with uh, Andy Dolich and Pat Gallagher and Fred Clare, who have had uh, all three tremendous careers in the industry and are, are legends, um, you know, you talk to the 130 plus people we've already talked to, every single one of them has a different path. And so I think the, the best uh, advice that I've been given and I would give to myself is pursue your own dreams, pursue the ones that are yours and not someone else's or, you know, make your own path, you know, create your own path as opposed to following someone else's. Part of that too is like embracing where you are so you can do a really good job with what you're doing at the moment, right? I mean, I think a lot of people, Again, Kevin and I hate sounding like older guys when we say things like this, but saying, you know, people might think they're they're entitled to something better. They get to a job, but they're already thinking about, okay, I need to get this track, like the one you're talking about. You know, saying I'm going to be a president, so that means I need to be a vice president by the time I'm 30, and I'm 
sitting here at 26 and I haven't gotten the promotion I need. But if you're thinking about it always like that, you end up maybe not doing as good of a job and not showing your employer that you have what it takes to move up. Yeah, I think that's an important thing to note, right? You, you know, you said kind of having this timeline. It's like uh, if you relate it to, to dating, right, and getting married and having kids, it's like everyone's got a different timeline, right? So, <laughs> you know, uh, some are prepared, some aren't, and um, some, you know, move up uh, or move through life quicker than others too, right? So, yeah. you know, I think based – and that's and that's all based on priorities, um, you know, I, I'd be lying if I didn't say that when I was 22, I – you know, said to myself, okay, I need to be this by this to, you know, reach the GM chair at this, right? But um, you learn over time. Uh, and sometimes it's just, you know, you don't know what you don't know. But it's also, um, I think, really focusing on putting yourself around really good people, Kevin, because you know, that's ultimately uh, what's going to drive you forward. Um, you know, someone else takes a, a job elsewhere, or they move some to a different department, um, and they need a, they, they have a fit, right? If you're their person, okay, well, there's an opportunity. Um, or if someone else moves into a different department and you can slide into a different opportunity, I think um, those things, though, you have no control over. The only thing you can control is, uh, you know, how good of a job that you do at your current role. And that's something that Fred has, you know, instilled in me um, as a mentor. And, and also, you know, understanding that, uh, things happen, right? Like if you decide uh, a year into a job that it's just not for you or the place isn't for you or whatever, there's no one that's telling you you can't do something. Move, find something else, right? Um, if you think that it's a place you want to stay for 10, 15 years, great. No one else needs to tell you differently. So uh, I think it's it goes back to that other point, Kevin, of just fulfilling your own dreams and, and understand that you have your own timeline. That's so good. And we we all get in the comparison game, right? And we think that that person's ahead of us or we're ahead of that person. It's like, nobody's really ahead of anybody, right? We're all on a different path. We're all on a different journey. And so what are you, what are you doing to be the best where you are? Um, and what makes the most sense for you? Like I said, it, the old world, like for me growing up, it, there was this idea that you stay at a company for 10, 20, 30 years. So that's how you know parents did, grandparents did. Now that's just not the case. We're realizing you don't, you don't have to stay somewhere for 20 years. Just like, Stability for just to get a paycheck, right? To be at a bad place or a place you're unhappy isn't 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 worth it. Now we have options, and so to so to pursue your path, I love that. I think that's 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 really critical. I want to talk about your book a little bit, right? The twenty secret, secrets to success for NCAA student athletes who won't go pro, um, and in that you talk about the mindset of, of an athlete and the, the advantages or the challenges that college athletes have as they enter into the workforce. Like, how did that? What, what advantages do you think that, that that gave you, but also what were those some of the unique challenges that you think uh, you faced as an athlete trying to get into the workforce? Yeah, I think um, it depends on each individual, right? And I and the way we constructed the book was we had 65-plus interviews in the book uh, with different perspectives from former student-athletes all around the industry and from other industries to be able to provide perspectives that others could relate to. Um, you might only relate to one of the 65, but that's okay. Uh, and as we, you know, try and, and bring light to some of the advantages that you have and some of the challenges that you have, look, I, I was a division three athlete and you have to acknowledge that the amount of time that you put into it is going to dictate, you know, what your challenges and or advantages were. Right. So I could, you know, during my injury in my sophomore year, I could have just felt sorry for myself and, um, 
you know, not really done a whole lot and just kind of did my schoolwork and did, did the average amount and showed up at practice and watched everyone. And, but instead I found an internship in baseball in which I was able to go work the games after practice. Um, and I found that I had a little bit more time because, you know, I wasn't showing up to the park to hit BP, you know, three hours early before practice. Cause I couldn't. Right. So, uh, it's understanding what are your time limits and, you know, what can you do? So are there opportunities you can pursue as a student athlete? And, and understanding that, look, regardless of whether you're a student athlete or just a student, you're going to have challenges in getting opportunities, period. It's, it don't just think that you have the challenge of getting one uh, from an experience perspective because you have less time. You can make the time. You may, you may sleep a little less or, or play a little less video games or, you know, FaceTime a little less, right. Or watch, you know, maybe not be able to watch shows, but that's a, that's a personal choice and a personal priority. So when you think about the advantages you do have as a student athlete, look, the advantage I had and the advantage that I sold into anything that I did was um, I had time management because I had to, otherwise you weren't going to be successful. And you also had that grit grind and understanding of what it takes to succeed and fail. And failure, I think, is that key, that key piece and key part of understanding, you know, when I got injured, right, I felt like I was a complete failure, right? I let my teammates down, I let myself down, uh, let my friends and family down. But how you get back up and, and you, you know, I rehabbed for 15 months before I was able to appear in another game in a summer league. And I took that challenge, right? And others could just say, hey, you know what, I'm done. I got injured. I'm going to hang it up. I'm going to do something else. Um, it just depends on each individual and, and how they pursue uh, what they want. So with the book, you know, there's obviously a reason, you know, you and your co-authors felt the, the need to, to put it out there. What do you think the, you know, that sounds like a really great experience that you were able to do, but is that uncommon? Do you see it as like a, a thing where maybe more student athletes didn't have the right mindset or was it just, you probably had teammates and friends and people you've come across that had similar challenges, maybe handled differently. Do you think there's anything systemic or, or big picture that you drew from how student athletes kind of approach their time in college? Yeah, I think from a systemic standpoint, the more you, the more people you talk to and the more you realize how much of an issue the issue really is, uh, you realize it's a big issue, but at the same time, um, it stemmed from one friend you know, who took a year to find a job after graduating. And he was a great player and, you know, had great talents and was a good student. But the mindset wasn't there of, okay, my season's done. I'm ready to move on. I'm ready to graduate. I'm ready to go get a job. It was the, you know, kind of this playing in between uh, sort of thing. And I think, you know, when I went to Ohio to um, try and continue playing, understanding that the reality of, of me succeeding was low because of what I was going through. And, and I was also going from D3 to D1, right? The talent was even be, uh, bigger and better to then go into a volunteer role where I was around the team all the time and understanding the mindsets of the guys that were freshmen and sophomores. And then the ones that were graduating, it just appeared to me, it wasn't just the team that I was around. It was everyone. And it was, it didn't matter what sport you were in too, because you go through this identity crisis of what am I without my sport? Um, and it's a, it's a transition that you're going to go through regardless, but you're going to go through it regardless of whether you're a student athlete or not. Like the same, I've had, I've had friends who have read the book and go, you know, I wasn't a student athlete, but wow, this really relates to 
X, Y, and Z because when you transition from high school to college, right, there's transitions you're going through, there's challenges. You have an identity change, an identity crisis. When you go from college into the working world, same thing. Uh, I, you know, I mentioned the, the dating and the relationships, right? Same thing. You're going from single to not and you have a family and I'm not there yet, right? But, but others understand that concept. Um, so it, it's interesting in that the, the need for the understanding of the transition is not just at one point in your life. It's all the time there's always going to be transitions and the more you can learn from each one, the better off you'll be prepared. I think, you know, hearing about your mindset, but that's not a normal mindset, right? For most people, but especially a college kid, right? Now the mindset of feeling like a failure when you get injured, I think that's normal among athletes, right? Because you've, you've tied your whole identity and most of your time and effort energy into this one endeavor. And then that gets taken away. And so to feel like a failure to kind of wonder what in the world, who am I, what am I, what am I, what am I going to do now? Like that, that's normal. Um, but the but the perspective and the mindset of, all right, well, now I've got time, I'm going to get an internship or a job or a whatever, and to kind of pick yourself up and go do something, right? To, to use that, that adversity, like, to find the opportunity in the midst of that adversity, I think is a really, it's, it's an admirable mindset, but it's not normal, certainly for young people. And, and so one, how did you develop that mindset? And two, how has that benefited you throughout your career? Yeah, that's a great question, Kevin, because you're right. It isn't normal, or at least I've, I've found that to be um, in that, you know, not everyone thinks the way I do, not that it's special or anything, right? But it's just different. And so when you realize um, the mindset comes from the, you know, I grew up um, throughout middle school and high school being bullied, right? So I was, I was always kind of the whether it was the last one picked or the, you know, I, I was the chubby fat kid, right? So there was always kind of this chip on your shoulder of, um, you know, in high school, I was, I always had to outwork everyone just to be on the team um, and, and earn any playing time that I got. Um, so as you kind of move throughout life, right, everyone's got their different experiences that ultimately help create who they are and the mindsets that they have. Um, and I think it's just been, you know, part of it is how I was, you know, raised by my parents too. And just, you know, nothing's going to be given to you and you got to go get, get what you want. And I feel like it's one of those things that once you get it, you get it right. And then, and then things just start to kind of click, but you have to get it first. And, you know, I think it just kind of came naturally to some extent. Uh, but the more and more I re I've realized uh, the mindset and how important it is, I've really fostered it and thought about it a lot and, and tried to understand um, how I can utilize that mindset in, in a lot of different ways throughout my career. I think one of the things that's really interesting to me about you and your journey is, um, you know, how one, obviously very intentional about what you're picking up and the, the lessons you're, you're learning. And is that kind of what drove you to, uh, to start working on the podcast? I mean, because the podcast, for, for those who don't know, it's, it's about, well, I'll let you explain it. It's about journeys, right? And understanding, and you've used that and obviously picked up a lot, but talk a little bit about, about the podcast, how it started and what it is. Yeah. So obviously, you know, we talked about the first book that I, that I co-authored, but um, Andy and, and Fred have become, you know, huge mentors in my life. And, and, and then Pat came along the way and has kind of become the same, but the three of those guys, again, they've had 150 years plus in the, in the industry from an experience standpoint and, and wanted to write a book on, kind of careers in sports, lessons you've learned, et cetera. And I said, guys, like, I love that, love that thought. You know, the book writing process is not easy for uh, FYI for anyone who's thinking about doing it. 
it takes a while and it's a lot of time, effort and energy. Not that a podcast isn't, but I said, guys, you guys like to talk. You got a bunch of friends. Um, we all have big networks, right? So let's just utilize, um, you know, the ability to capture people's past because they're all different. Um, people, you know, people all have interesting stories and, and then the lessons they learn from it, right? The lessons that I've learned so far early on in my career are not, you know, earth shattering. Um, some of them are probably similar from others that have had similar experiences, but there's also lessons that I haven't even learned yet. And it's because I haven't experienced something else that another has. Uh, so I think you have to be humble and, and understand that that is the way things are. And if you can learn lessons from others because they've experienced something else, without you having to experience it, it at least gives you that awareness of if that lesson then comes into your life at some point, you have an awareness of what it is, uh, or potentially the, the second awareness of what someone else is going through or someone else has learned uh, that you might be working with, you know, competing with, et cetera. So um, the podcast, you know, we, we bring on executives across the industry, but then we also bring on, you know, people that are rising stars or, or, you know, young in their careers because all the different perspectives matter, right? And we want to, you know, make sure that we have the diversity of perspectives and, and experiences and it's not, um, you know, just everyone with a, with a CEO title. Well, the beauty of, of the podcast is you, you get people on to ask them a bunch of questions. All you're doing is learning from them, right? And, oh, yeah. and it's just a, a great way to advance your your learning without having to experience all these things because you're getting the, the people who have done it for 20, 30, 40, 50 years. And people are generally willing, willing to share their stories, right? And like, great, I'm just going to take that and that and that and that and use it and, and make myself better. And anyone who listens, right, hopefully the same thing. Um, as, you've, as you've interviewed these highly successful people across the podcast, I think what, 150-ish guests, right? And climbing, yeah, yeah. And climbing. Can. So it's and, and a really impressive list of people. What are some of the... But let's say, I don't say the, the you know the biggest takeaway you've you've had or the number one thing you've learned. Like, what are some like two or three lessons that you've learned or perspectives that you've gathered that you've been able to implement to benefit your own life, your own career? Yeah, that's an interesting question, Kevin. Because you know, I think um, what I take away from listening to an episode is going to be different than what you take away and what Mark takes away, right? So the way in which we retain information and, and relate to things um, is different for everyone. So I think that's, that's A, one takeaway. And then B, I think the other thing is that people, you know, and, and this is maybe something that, you know, going back to your earlier question of like, what would you tell yourself that you wish you would have known? There's so many people that are working in sports that, you know, I've been fortunate and lucky to kind of start my career in sports and I've never really done anything different per se. Um, but there's a lot of people who are working in sports now that they started at an investment firm or insurance or real estate. I mean, there's, there's so many different ways that you can take transferable skills and, and build them into the industry. And to understand that perspective of you don't have to have worked in sports your whole entire career to be good at what you do. Um, and vice versa, if you work in sports for a while, it's okay to go do something else. I think people kind of have that, you know, misconception of like, I have to work in sports for my whole entire life. Otherwise, you don't, you know, you're not worthy or, or whatever the case might be. But there's so many people that have been super successful, you know, going to work for brands or many of other types of properties and companies, you know, Google or Facebook or whatever the case might be, where they can, you know, apply a lot of the things that they've learned in sports um, to whatever else they're doing. 
I think that's a really interesting point. And that one doesn't come up, I feel like, a lot when we talk about like sports business and, you know, people, I know people who have that fear. I've been through uh, job changes, you know, that are, you know, my current position is not as in sports as some of my previous ones. And you wrestle with that and you say, am I, am I missing something again, getting that kind of where you're comparing yourself to other people and you're saying, am I going to get behind on this? And, you know, but I think you're right. It's about what you can take from it and apply to the sports industry. You never know what that is. And that's, we talked about that in our conversation last time, uh, Jake, kind of about how there's different things that come up. And I, I like to have a lot of different uh, conversations and, and kind of take stuff from different places. You never know where it's going to fit in. I think, it, I think it's really good for people in sports to take that approach. Switching up it a little bit, I, you were telling us a little bit about what you do as a board member of the sports biz camps. Um, and that's really interesting. Talk a little bit about that project and how you got involved and, and what you do. Yeah, so it's it's a project that I've kind of just um, kept my eye on when I saw something like a year ago, uh, as Patrick Stack and and Jeff Longo and Sam Renault have have started something great there from a nonprofit perspective that they started in Charlotte and continuing to do some great things. And you know, I recently got involved a couple of months ago, um, and have just you know I, f- I fell in love with the mission just as a lot of other people do when they want to help, uh, and it's. Really, it's, a, it's the organization to put on camps uh, for sports business 101 for high school students, underrepresented minorities and, and uh, females in sport um, to, pre, you know, create a, a, a pipeline, a better pipeline um, for those individuals to find opportunities in the industry. And all the camps are funded by sponsors and fundraising uh, to make sure that the kids go for free. Um, and you know, the reason someone would probably ask, well, why would you want to get involved? And look, I've been fortunate that uh, I've had a lot of different mentors that have helped me along the way. A lot of different people that have helped me along the way, get the different opportunities that I've had. I've had a family that has supported me along the way. And I've, you know, if I've ever, ever had a hardship, you know, they were there for me. And I know that that circumstance isn't there for everyone. Um, and if I had a much different situation, I probably wouldn't be where I am today. Um, so having that understanding, I think is really important. And that's my mission to help and, and provide whatever support and help I can to, to the nonprofit, um, you know, to be able to, to create opportunities for, for others. Cause that's what, that's what others have done for me. I love it. Uh, so, uh, you know, going back to kind of our earlier conversation about being, being a young professional and finding your path, um, kind of owning your own journey. What do you think that the working world gets wrong about young professionals? Ooh, that's a good question because I kind of consider myself an old soul within the young professional group. Uh, I don't have social media other than LinkedIn and I purely, purely use it for the podcast and kind of networking. You know, I, I don't watch any TV shows or, or anything like that. So I'm probably, you know, the, the one on one extreme from a young professional standpoint, but, you know, I will say like, you know, I, I've, as I alluded to in my career path earlier in this episode of like going from one thing to another, to another, I think that there's this notion of, of like um, the job hopping or like, you know, not being able to sit still and, you know, do one thing, um, which to some extent, you know, sure there's, there's extremes on, on every end and every generation and, and um, types of, of people and all sorts of different industries. But, 
you know, when you, when you think about, um, you know, you said something wrong or misconceptions, uh, I think, you know, the misconception is that we're different and we are different, but like everyone's different, right? Even, even other generations, everyone's different. Um, and so I think to, to try and single a generation out in the sense of like, oh, they do things this way and this generation does things if like, it's a person by person thing. Everyone's got a different personality and different skill sets and some have ADD, some don't. I mean, right, like it's, it's everyone is, uh, they're each individual and I think we all have to appreciate that uh, depending on who we're working with. That's interesting. So go back to the no social media, no TV shows, Conscious decision? Something you make? Was there of your career or your life that you just decided this isn't for me? Or were you ever on those social platforms? Uh, Curious, just to dive in a little bit more about that. There's always a reason, right? I mean, and (laughs) usually, like you know, anything else, it has to do with with a you know ex girlfriend. I'm just kidding. But uh, in in my case, I actually that was a turning point where uh, I did get rid of all my social media, and you know, I was like, I don't need this stuff. I don't need people to think that. Uh, my life is one way when, you know, if I really want to connect with someone and stay in touch with someone, I'm going to call them. I'm going to text them. I'm going to FaceTime them. Um, I'm going to make sure that I stay in touch. And you, you know, the biggest thing that I found, and it's been a little over two years now that I've done that. um, The biggest thing that you find is the people who are your real friends, they'll stay in touch with you. And then the people that you want to stay in touch with, you will, you'll make the effort, you'll make the time. Um, and not get caught up in, you know, Kevin, you made the point earlier of like comparing yourself to others around the industry and stuff. It's the same thing with comparing yourself to friends and whatever else they're doing in their life. And I'm not on here to talk about, you know, you should get rid of your social media, but like, you know, I've, I've talked with my brother. I'm like, Hey, what's your FaceTime uh, or screen time, screen time, you know, like what? And he's, you know, 15 hours a week. I'm like, that's 15 hours. You could be doing totally something else. And I might sound cliche, right? But, you know, the, the no TV shows, like, I just don't really have an interest in the no social media. I have a ton of time to do other things and, you know, read or podcast or this or that, that uh, ultimately I want to just better myself. Yeah, that was going to be my kind of like follow-up. So what, what fills the time? I, I heard an interesting note. You may have heard this before because, you know, Kevin and I are both big readers. So it sounds like you are too. And some of you are saying they don't have time to read but there was some study that came out, and this was, I think this study is like 10 years old, so it's probably gone up, that we ingest about 100,000 words per day. It's just in a different format. It's in scrolling. It's in, it's in uh, Facebook messages and, and Twitter and stuff. So they're like, you, you have the time. You're just not spending it uh, on this way. So don't, don't tell us you don't have the time. You're ingesting all that stuff anyway. It's just probably low value, low impact. So what kind of fills up the time you talked about that you have available? Yeah, well... I started yoga about seven years ago when I went through my injury and that's stuck with me. And so I, I'm hot yoga probably three, four times a week, depending on obviously the availability of, you know, classes and stuff like that. But you can also just do it at your home. And even if it's 20 minutes, right, it, it still makes a really big difference, you know, also from a mind, mind clearing perspective and just kind of, uh, obviously there's the, the physical health aspects, but the mental health. And then, uh, I would say, you know, we mentioned not feeling connected to someone because you see them on social media. I take that time to 
I'll schedule calls with people till nine o'clock at night of people in my network. And, you know, if I only talk to them once every four or six months, that's okay. But I want to make sure I at least make that touch point every four to six months as opposed to not. Uh, because a year goes by and you're like, oh my God, I haven't talked to this person. Well, you could have, and everyone's schedule is busy, right? I get it. Uh, but if you can be intentional with making that time, uh, I think, you know, you really cultivate relationships in your network as opposed to just, ha- you know, having people that you know. Like if you truly, um, and, you, and I think the misconception is you have to talk to people all the time or be texting with them all the time. That, like, no, like, it, like everyone's busy and things happen, right? So if you connect with someone, even if it's three to four months, once one time, um, you're likely during that 30 minutes going to catch up on everything that's happened over that three to four months, right? Uh, at least everything that's important. So that's kind of how I fill my time. And, and um, you know, there, there's, you know, from a health aspect, uh, I've taken on the vegetarian life. So I, I cook probably every meal. So, you know, if you meal prep or do any of that, you know, you need a little extra time than just running through a drive through somewhere. So that takes it up a little bit too. That's good. And I, I'm just, I love just the, the intentionality with how you operate, right? It's, and, and, you know, Mark and I both spend time on social media. Most of my career has, for the last 10 years, has involved some form of social media. But I also get the value of, of I, I'm big of, yes, I, I love it. I like spending time there, but that doesn't mean you need to live there, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but, but for you, it's like, I can connect, quote unquote, connect with a bunch of strangers that I don't have real relationship with, or I can invest in my people. Like I said, even if that's a text, even if it's a phone call once every couple of months, um, that's still a way to, to invest in people. And my guess is you probably have, uh, a lot less anxiety and, and stress in your life than the rest of us who do spend our time on social media, on social media, just going through everyone who's just angry about everything. One, I appreciate your time. This has been, this has been really good. And, and I know it'd be valuable for those listening. I, I was just, I was texting Mark as you're interviewing, like, this has been, I, I've, I've enjoyed it. I've learned a lot. I love your perspective, kind of the way you approach things, the intentionality. Um, we, we probably be failures as, as podcast hosts if we don't talk about the current situation. Um, so we'll kind of end on, on the, the current environment around COVID-19, around, you know, the tour being shut down, everything being shut down. What is, what does this time look like for you? And how are you preparing for when that switch gets flipped on? Um, and and it's, I guess kind of three part question, what are you doing? Just kind of stay sane, stay sharp. Right. Um, and, and to prepare for that time when the switch gets flipped. And then what is, what do you think the new world looks like? Like the sports over the next 12 to, to 18 months, what do you think our new world looks like? Yeah, I wish I had a crystal ball, but I don't, um, you know, from a staying sane and staying busy, um, I've been fortunate, uh, that my organization has let me come work from home, uh, in Arizona and, um, you know, I'm able to, but, but at the same time I wake up at 6am because I'm working with people on East Eastern standard time. So I make sure that I'm available and, and working when I need to be, um, you know, and, and, for whatever is needed. I think, you know, you mentioned like the flip on and off from a switch perspective, you know, I don't know if there is a switch, right? I think it's just, Hey, today is whatever today is, even though we're losing track of days. Right. And, and it's just, today's a day, tomorrow's another day. And yesterday was yesterday. And I think you just have to operate under that lens of like, um, do what you can today to, not only better yourself, but better the people around you uh, with whatever the day uh, faces, right? Because I think we're all witnessing that things change by the hour, things change by the day, you know, and, and so it's just being able to be as 
proactive as possible. And you said, how do you stay sane? Well, you know, when you do have that extra time where you're not commuting, um, you know, maybe you have had more time, um, you know, in the evenings because you've watched all your shows, right. Or whatever the case is, I've just called a bunch of people and I want to, I want to learn from them as to what are they going through? What are the challenges and obstacles they're facing? And again, I don't have to be in major league baseball or minor league baseball working to understand what they're going through or the challenges they're going through. I can learn through others and vice versa. Right. And, and also others around our organization too. Like, um, I think sometimes you take that for granted, but you know, you have your department that you're working with and, and obviously you're working with those people very closely on, on a daily basis, but there's others around your organization that are working on something completely different. And if you can have a better understanding of what they're going through and how things are going to change there, who knows where it'll help you. It may never help you, but you at least have a better understanding uh, and have built better relationships across the board with whatever comes next in that 12 to 18 months like you're talking about. Well, uh, Jake, you know, appreciate, uh, appreciate the time today. This was a great conversation. Really enjoyed it. And, you know, um, interested to hear how things continue to move in, uh, in the future. And uh, thanks again for joining us. Thanks, Mark. Thanks, Kevin. Really appreciate the time and uh, love what you guys are doing as well. You know, you got to uh, you got to help educate. And I think, you know, the vulnerability perspective of just, you know, being willingness to learn uh, and and being open to learning something new. Right. I think is, is so key. So uh, props to you guys for what you're doing as well. All right. Really good conversation. Really enjoyed it. Uh, a lot of things to take out of that. I hope um, you know, one of the things we try to do on these shows is bring people from different seasons of their career. You know, we've talked to, to athletics directors and we've talked to senior level people and people have really done it. I think there's also value in talking to folks who are younger, who are just starting out, who've done a lot of interesting things and are, and are approaching it different. Because Kevin talks about this a lot of seasons of different seasons of your life, different seasons of your career. So really enjoyed it. You know, I, I this is one of my favorite interviews we've ever done, uh, and I, I didn't know Jake, didn't know of him. Um, you had the the awesome idea of of interviewing him, having been on his podcast, and I just thought he was he was really fascinating, um, his story, his journey, um, but really just his perspective. Uh, I love just you know, again, we've used this word now for how many years we've been doing the podcast, but his intentionality, um, and his mindset in the middle of adversity, his mindset around his career. You know, I mean, he's he's a college athlete, gets hurt. That, that for some, where their whole identity is, is in their sport, can be devastating. Uh, and he's like, you know, I can sit around and, and whine and throw a fit and play video games, or I can go get a job. And so he, he used that time to his advantage. And, and that was, it's one thing for a 45-year-old, right, to take advantage of, of adversity, but this is a college student. And so just his perspective, his intentionality throughout his life, um, I think the things he shared, A, I learned a lot from him, but I think people who were, who were listening well, I've gotten a lot of actionable things to, to take out of this, this interview. And, you know, one of the things I really liked is when he said part of the reason he, he has this podcast in his own life in the front office is he wants to learn from the mistakes of other people before he has to make that, those mistakes, right? You don't have to, everything you learn in life doesn't have to be acquired by personal experience. In fact, if you're doing it that way, you're really, you know, doing a disservice. It reminded me, um, I read, uh, Jim Mattis's book last year. He was a former uh, general, former uh, secretary of defense, uh, overall amazing kick-ass guy. And he he talked about how leaders have the opportunity. He said anybody who 
hasn't read like a thousand books, is functionally illiterate. And he said that leaders in the military and generals and people who command men in battle, men and women in battle, have not only uh, an obligation, but like a, a, an absolute obligation to, to learn from the mistakes of other people because you're dealing with literal life and death situations. So not as dramatic if we're talking about just the sports business side of it, but one of those things, you know, we, we read not to just get a few good ideas here. Now we read to learn things from other people that, that we don't have to learn from our own experience and, and we don't have to make the same pitfalls. So to hear somebody, you know, his age kind of embracing that and talking about it and that's why he does it, you know, it was really, really cool. Yeah, and this idea that he knows that, you know, everyone has their own journey, but a lot of people have faced things that he's going to face. Like most, our, our journeys, it's this weird dynamic of um, our journeys are all different, but they're also very similar. Right? We're all going to have a bad boss at some point in time. We're all probably going to get fired at some point in time. We're all going to have a relationship. Like all these things that we all have our own path, but we're going to like, there, there's really nothing new under the sun. Right. And so the more we can interview people who have lived life, uh, who, are, who have more wisdom than us, have more experience than us, that's just a way for us, if we do it right, to advance our learning. So when we're in that situation, we can learn from the, from the mistakes they've already made or, or just from the way they operate. Maybe they didn't make the mistake, right? They handled it the right way. And that's just something for us to implement. And so that's, that's just how he approaches things. He's kind of the theme of his life, it feels like, has been a life of learning. How can I learn from people that are around me? How can, how can I connect people around me and learn from people around me and use that for good? Uh, so just a, a really impressive interview and, and love what he's about. Absolutely. Yeah. And we didn't actually even know the he kind of had a non-social media policy and it doesn't watch TV and some of that stuff seems a little, you know, that can seem a little bit extreme and that can seem a little bit quirky. And, you know, you fill in the blank uh, when you hear that. But what I take out of it, and I think what you take out of it, too, is that it's not about a one size fits all. And he said this kind of after, you know, after we stopped recording, we we're just we we're just talking about things and said, you know, this might not be the right thing for everybody. He's talked about some friends who've done it and some went right back and some stayed with it saying, I'm not going to use social media. I'm going to spend all the time on other things. But even the ones who went back said, well, I decided I was only going to check it at certain parts of the day, or I was only going to do it for certain things, or I was going to cull down my list of, of platforms that I'm following so I can you know get more value out of it. I think that's what it is. It's not social media is bad or, or watching TV is bad. It's it's bad when it controls you and it's bad when you don't use it in a way that you're identifying very clearly is going to bring value. That's right. And and for him, you know, he said the alternative is he can spend his time doing things that, that actually makes him better. And again, he's not trying to bash social media, but he's like, I don't use social media and I don't watch TV. And and that feels very like whatever, you know, like it's easy to, it's easy to judge that, that lifestyle. He's like, I just want to do things. I want to connect with people. I want to call people. I want to text people. I want to FaceTime with people. I want to read. I want to write. Um, and so it's it's a reminder to many of us. Again, it's not that social media is good, bad. Social media is what it is. But it, are you controlling the way you use it, or is it controlling you? And, and most of us will say, well, I'm busy, or I don't have enough time to fill in the blank, right, to take, take an online course, to um, have a mentor, to write a book, to learn a new skill, whatever it may be. Uh, to get healthy, right? To exercise. Like, well, I don't have time. And to his points, like he was talking to some friends who spend 15 hours a week on social media, not, not 15 hours of screen time on their phone, 15 hours a week on social media. And so it's like, what could you do with that 15 hours? If, if you cut down five of those hours, right? And, and that's really the point is, is it's not that social media is bad. It's you have time 
you're just choosing what you do with that time. And, and we, we can use time to get better. We can use time to scroll through Twitter. And it's no shame regardless, right? Like what, whatever your choice is, that's your choice. You just, we have to own the outcome of that. And so it's, if you're using Twitter for 15 hours a week, what if you used it for five and, and walked for five hours, right? What, if, what right. if you walk for five hours a week? Like the mental health benefits that you would have from that. You'd have clarity. You'd have peace. You'd have less anxiety. Um, you'd just be over like physically. You'd be healthier. So that's that's the thing. It's We all have time. Uh, we all have the same amount of hours in a day. It's what are we doing with it? And so that, I think it's just interesting, interesting perspective. Not, we're not saying either one of us are shutting down social media, but it's, it's always good to be reminded of how are you using it and, and what's the what value are you getting from it? Um, or are you just mindlessly scrolling through? And so I, I thought it was really good, really good interview and, and really fascinating. I hope that you guys listening um, enjoyed it, got a lot out of it. Uh, until next time, I am Kevin DeShazo along with Mark Hodgkin. You can find us. Uh, we are on social media, obviously, um, at Mark underscore Hodgkin, at Kevin DeShazo. Give us any feedback. Shoot us any questions. We appreciate you guys listening. Uh, have a great day. and We'll see you guys soon.